Lord Jesus, thank you for those who first wrote down your word through the power and the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for how you have used that to shape generations of those who follow you. We thank you for how you have used scripture in our lives. We thank you for Pastor Jim's role in shaping us to study scripture better. And as we come to your word today, we ask that you would do that good work again. Teach us and then help us to take it to heart and to live it out in our lives so that we are all in, sold out, followers of Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. This week, we are returning to our study in the Gospel of John. If you remember, back about a month ago, we were looking at Jesus' last teaching to his disciples uh, right before he was arrested and then was crucified. We've covered a number of topics in that teaching already. And now for the next three weeks, we're going to cover another of those topics, the topic of what Jesus says about the world. I think this is great timing because we just finished four weeks thinking about faith over fear. And the topic about the world that we are looking at today is persecution. And so I think we are well prepared to come into this part of John. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 15, starting with verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, as it is they have seen. And yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Jesus prepared his disciples for persecution. He knew it would shake their faith, and so he gave them the big picture. He said, it's not about you. It's about people's opposition to God, people's hatred 
of God. But you are going to be persecuted. It's going to happen. He said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. The disciples had already been watching Jesus being persecuted. That had started back in chapter 5, and so they knew that this was not a matter of if, but when. And Jesus went into specifics. He said, they will put you out of the synagogue. We might think that's kind of mild. We could always go to the synagogue down the block, but it didn't work that way in the first century. Think back to the man who was born blind, who was healed by Jesus. He was excommunicated from the synagogue. And with that, he lost friends. He lost all support. All the fabric of life was ripped away from him. Jesus said, that is what will happen to you. And they will kill you. And they will think they're doing the right thing. Doing it for God. Imagine the disciples having those words ringing in their ears as they went through Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. As they watched Jesus, they were seeing their own future. And persecution came quickly after Jesus died, rose, and ascended. In chapter 3 of Acts, Peter and John heal a person and then are thrown into prison. They, they are released the next day, but the cycle of persecution has begun. Just a couple chapters later, all of the apostles are imprisoned and flogged, just like Jesus was. And a couple chapters after that, Stephen is killed for believing in Jesus. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. Just a few years after Jesus told the disciples they would be persecuted, some had been killed and others had fled. When we read the Bible piecemeal, we don't see this necessarily, but there is a stream of persecution that flows through the whole New Testament. In fact, Paul says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Through the rest of the years of the Roman Empire, Christians were persecuted sporadically it depended on what province you lived in, what empire you were living, emperor you were living under. But I doubt if either of those things were of much comfort to the person going through persecution. There is strong evidence that every one of the apostles was martyred for their faith. And then in 303, what is known as the Great Persecution started. It lasted for about a decade. It was an empire-wide state sanction of the elimination of Christianity. Churches were burned, scriptures were burned, Christians were burned. Persecution waxed and waned over the following centuries. 
sometimes more, sometimes less, sometimes spread, sometimes very small areas. Every time that the gospel moved into a new region, persecution followed. When new religious groups arose, persecution moved into formerly Christian areas. It has been sporadic over the ages, but it has been consistently there. Sadly, there have been many times in our history where Christians have been the persecutors of other Christians or of people of other faiths. What is shocking to me is that the 20th century is the place where we saw the most persecution. In fact, some sources say that the number of Christians who died for their faith in the 20th century exceeded the number of Christians who died for their faith in all of the previous centuries combined. Communist states, nationalistic religious states, paranoid dictators all viewed Christians as threats to their state, to their power. And that brings us to more recently. Recently, a book was published by a uh, person who talked with people who had survived persecution in the USSR in the 20th century, and one pastor said this, our persecution is always with us. It simply comes as we walk with Jesus. It's like the sun coming up in the east. It is that much part of their everyday life. And it continues today. Today in our country, because of our religious freedoms, most of us have not experienced persecution firsthand. I say most of us because we do have people in our church family who are from countries where it is not safe to believe in Jesus Christ. But for most of us, we haven't experienced persecution, not really. We've experienced trials, we've experienced suffering, we've experienced opposition. People have disapproved of us, been antagonistic towards us. Being a Christian is not popular. It may feel like we've lost the home court advantage, but, but that's not persecution. It's not persecution like our brothers and sisters across the world today are facing. In May, the United Kingdom's version or edition of Newsweek had this as a headline. Persecution of Christians is approaching genocide levels. Recent statistics say that last year alone, over 3,000 Christians were imprisoned because they believe in Jesus. Almost 2,000 churches were destroyed, and over 4,000 Christians died because they believed in Jesus. Every year, Open Doors presents 
what they call a world watch list that documents the countries across the world where it is dangerous or extremely dangerous to be a follower of Jesus. As you can see, North Korea tops the list again this year. I have a video of one of our sister believers in North Korea to show you what she's gone through. I direct your attention to the screens. Sangesa 예수님은 눈으로는 볼수 없지만 예수님은 확실히 계시고 일을 하신다. 북성대에서 감옥에서 안기부 간첩으로 몰려가지고 그 복음을 전하고 밤에는 몰래 복음을 전하고 아픈 사람 기도해주고 그러면서 이제 거기서 그렇게 그런 사역을 할때 하나님께서 그 사람을 통해서 그 감옥에다가 지하 교회를 세워주셨어요. 아, 저희 남편은 아, 정말 음, 아, 나는 이제 죽어도 천국이 있다, 천국 소망이 있기 때문에 이제 죽어도 나는 아쉬 이 세상에 아쉬울 것이 없다고 그냥 그런 이야기를 했다고 그래요. 있을 때 특히 감옥에서 정말 많은 사람들이 옆에서 죽어가고 항상 주님께서 내 마음에 기둥이 되고 나의 마음에 등재가, 등대가 되어주시고 So what do we do? We do what Hei Wu asked us to do. We pray. Scriptures tells us to pray. Pray for those facing persecution. Hebrews says, pray as if you were there with them in prison. Pray as you, as if you yourself were being mistreated. Pray. Sometimes we pray saying, we, we pray for them to escape suffering. 
But that's not what Wei Hu asked us to pray for. And that's not what Paul asked those praying for him to pray for when he was in prison. This is what Paul said. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It's become clear throughout the whole palace guard that I am in chains for Christ. Through your prayers, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So pray that the gospel would be advanced through the courage of these brothers and sisters. Pray that Jesus Christ would be exalted. Pray for that. And pray also for those who persecute. It may sound counterintuitive, but Jesus himself told us to do that. And Jesus himself did that while he was on the cross. He prayed for those who put him there. Paul said to bless those who persecute you. Paul, who himself persecuted Christians to their deaths, knew personally how God could do miracles and claim even persecutors for himself. So pray that God would bless those who are persecuting Christians. And then pray for governments and leaders that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Not just for our government, our leaders, for all governments and leaders. When you watch the news, pray for every government that is mentioned and pray for how their decisions impact believers who follow Jesus Christ. Pray for them. Now, you may be thinking, what else can we do to prepare ourselves if persecution is inevitable? Pray. Pray for those who are facing it today. Let your prayers for them shape your hearts. As you pray for them, you will start recognizing their courage. You will start seeing their commitment to the gospel you will be able to follow their example of trusting the Lord in all times. So pray. At the bottom of your sermon notes, I have two websites that will enable you to pray specifically for your brothers and sisters across the world who are being persecuted today. One, I, un I downloaded an app on my phone so that I can pray daily for specific things. Next Sunday is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and there will be more materials out on the courtyard to help you pray. But don't wait till next Sunday. Pray now. Pray daily. Pray as if you were in prison yourself for your brothers and sisters for whom Christ died. With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do pray for our brothers and sisters. We pray for those who are in prison, and we pray for their families who have lost support. We pray for pastors who are in prison, and we pray for their churches who are worshiping you today.
We pray for those in resettlement camps. We pray for those who are maligned and accused and burdened every day. And we pray not just that you would relieve their suffering. We pray that you would be exalted, that you would honor their decision to follow you no matter what, that you would honor it by advancing the gospel in ways we cannot even imagine. We pray for their courage. We pray, whether in life or death, that you would be exalted in their bodies. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us to pray better. We ask these things in Jesus' name, who conquered death. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.